Let me encourage you to open your Bibles tonight to the New Testament book of 1 Thessalonians and to its final chapter. Paul's first letter to the church at Thessalonica, chapter 5, and we will read verses 14 through 24. 1 Thessalonians 5, 14 and following. We urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with everyone, see that no one repays another with evil for evil, but always seek after that which is good for one another and for all people. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophetic utterances, but examine everything carefully, hold fast to that which is good, abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he who calls you, and he also will bring it to pass. Father, you are faithful who call us, and we pray that as you call to us tonight from your word, that you would work for our joy, for our sanctification, for our gratitude. God, help us to put into practice what we hear from your word tonight. Be faithful to us as you call to us tonight, and as you always are, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now I want us to focus our attention for a little while together tonight on verses 16, 17, and 18. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. What drew me to these verses for our time together in the Word this evening was noticing the fact that these three Things rejoicing, praying, and the giving of thanks. These three Christian activities, back to back to back, are to be done, all three of them, constantly. Did you notice that? Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks. So here are three Christian activities, three privileges of the Christian three spiritual disciplines that we are to be doing consistently throughout each day and throughout all our days. Not to say that these are the only constants in the life of faith, but here are three constants, one, two, three, mentioned one right after the other here in 1 Thessalonians 5. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks. And the fact that these three constants are stacked together here, one on top of the next, caught my attention as I looked at this passage and made me consider the possibility of a sermon on these three Christian constants. It makes for a fairly straightforward sermon outline, doesn't it? Three Christian constants. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks. Three things that we should consistently be doing. 
But then as I thought about it a little further, further, I felt a little bit of uneasiness in my heart about preaching this passage because these three Christian constants happen to be three spiritual disciplines in which I find that I myself am not always very constant. When things are not going the way I hoped or the way I would prefer, I tend not to rejoice at those particular times. And I tend not to give all that much thanks in those seasons when things aren't according to my plans. And sometimes I tend not even to want to pray very much because it feels like it's not doing any good. We'll come back to feeling like or seeming like it's not doing any good. But I'm fairly certain when I say these things that I'm not alone tonight. I'm sure that some of you struggle as well to rejoice always to pray without ceasing, and in everything to give thanks. This is a sermon for us all. And yet as I pondered it, I realized that it must be a sermon for me, too. I realized that if I was going to preach this sermon, I was going to need to preach it to myself. And even more difficult than that, I was going to need to listen to it myself and to actually work at heeding it myself. And that's a challenging thought because sometimes, maybe some of you can relate to this, sometimes it seems easier and sometimes, frankly, I would prefer to just mope and murmur rather than to discipline myself to give thanks and to pray and to call to mind all the reasons that I actually do have for rejoicing. And again, I'm fairly confident some of you can relate to that. It's easier sometimes to grumble or to just feel bad than it is to do what Paul is encouraging and commanding us to do here. So much so that it may be that some of you, when you realized what I was about to preach on, it may be that some of you groaned a little bit like I did at the thought of actually having to be reminded of these things and to be responsible now for having to go home and do them instead of just rolling over and giving up. It might have been easier tonight if I had preached on the Christian's groaning, because for some of us, we're better at the groaning than at the three constants in my text this evening. And the groaning is real, and the groaning has its place, and the groaning is taken up even by the Holy Spirit himself, Romans 8. So we don't decry that aspect of the Christian life tonight, the groaning. But alongside the groaning, we must also hear the Holy Spirit saying to us through the apostle tonight, rejoice always, pray without ceasing in everything, give thanks. So then first of all, rejoice always in verse 16. Rejoice always. Now again, This is not to say that there's no place for groaning or that there are no seasons in the Christian life of very real and very intense grief or discouragement or disappointment or depression or pain in our lives. There are. It's not to say that every song that we sing to the Lord, in other words, is a song of praise and that there's never any of those psalms of lament. There are. We do weep like Jesus wept at his friend's graveside, and that's right. And we do groan, Romans 8, and the Spirit groans for us as well in that chapter. There are reasons for sorrow and lament, even for the Christian. And there is a place, a right place, a godly place for the Christian to be sorrowful, 
for him or her to feel that sorrow and to express that sorrow and not just to brush it aside as though Christians were always happy about everything. But at the same time, do you remember how Paul described himself and his missionary companions in 2 Corinthians 6.10? Sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. And that second part, always rejoicing, is what he commands here in 1 Thessalonians 5. And the 2 Corinthians 6 passage reminds us that rejoicing is compatible with sorrow. We're not throwing out the one to have the other. The sorrow does not mean that there are not also reasons for rejoicing and for doing so always. And the call to rejoicing tonight doesn't mean there aren't reasons for sorrow either. So if we are in Christ, to our text tonight, there are always reasons for rejoicing, are there not? Even when we're sorrowful. There is reason in Romans 8.28, for instance, for rejoicing no matter what else is going on. Because Romans 8.28 reminds us that however bad things may appear, or in the words of William Cooper, however frowning God's providence may be for the moment. God really is working every circumstance for our good if we're his people. God is working for our good in all things, and therefore we can rejoice in all things. God is working for our good always, and therefore we can rejoice always. One of the pastors at our pastor's gathering yesterday has just recently gotten over his body becoming septic with MRSA. I don't know much about that. I don't really know anything about that. Um, But he had apparently had a really rough three days. And this is what he said about it. Amazingly, he said, I learned more in those three days than I think I could have learned in three weeks. Presumably three weeks of some other way of learning the Lord's lessons. I learned more in those three days than I think I could have learned in three weeks. And if I'm not mistaken, he was genuinely glad for what he learned. Glad for the lessons God had for him in suffering. Rejoicing in the Romans 8.28 outcome of this grave sickness. That doesn't mean the sickness was fun. I don't know that he would want to go back and repeat that again in another few weeks, but God had a good purpose in it, and he was rejoicing in that purpose, and God is always working like this, isn't he? Doing good through all the ill that comes upon us, so that we always have reason to rejoice even in the midst of trial. We may not always, like this particular man, know the specifics of what God is doing in that moment. But if we're in Christ, we always know that it's good. And for that, we can always rejoice, even when we suffer. And if we're in Christ, we always have reason for rejoicing also when we consider one of the famous doctrines of this very letter of 1 Thessalonians. Back in chapter 4, verse 16, these famous verses, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Verse 17, Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we shall always be with the Lord. Chapter 5, verses 9 and 10. For God has not destined us for wrath, 
but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we will live together with him. Here's something that will never change, no matter what else is going on. Christ is coming again. And in that day, his people will be both raised and rescued. And from that day forth, we shall always be with the Lord, bodily even. And therefore, here is a fact and here is a future in which we can always rejoice, no matter what else may be going on around us. Do our bodies ache and fail? While we groan in that, let us rejoice that when Christ returns, we will be raised and raised, 1 Corinthians 15, imperishable. Does much of life sometimes just frankly stink? Well, among or alongside any godly lamentation, let us rejoice that Jesus, when he comes again, is making all things new. Are you alone in this world, or sometimes at least feel that you are? Remember that someday Christ is coming, and when he does, you will live forever in the presence of the King. And rejoice in that. There's always reason to rejoice because Christ is coming again. And there's always reason to rejoice too, Christian, in other unalterable blessings that do not rise and fall with our circumstances, just like this one of Christ's coming does not rise and fall with our circumstances. Other other unchangeable things. Christ died for sins once for all. And by faith in him, you have been justified once for all. And God promises that you will become like Jesus, Romans 8, 29. That won't change. You will change, but God's purpose for you will not change or drop away. God has adopted you as his daughter or as his son. And that won't change. No one will snatch you out of Jesus' hand, John 10, 28, and no one is able to snatch you out of the Father's hand, John 10, 29. These are things that are constant. These are things that cannot change, that do not change, that will not change, no matter how high the waters may rise around you. These blessings, along with the God who grants them, are constant, and therefore our reasons for rejoicing are constant as well. We can rejoice always. I hope I've shown you it's not as impossible as it sometimes feels. We always have reason for rejoicing. And let me point out to you that the reasons we have for rejoicing are far weightier than even the very legitimate reasons we have for sorrow. The sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And nor are they even comparable to the blessings of the gospel and the promises of scripture that are ours in this life. We have so much to be glad about as believers. And not only in these great and glorious things of the gospel and the grand promises of scripture, but also let's remember that even in the midst of life's greatest trials, the daffodils still bloom. And we usually have food to eat and a roof over our heads, and clothes to wear, and so on. And let's notice, too, that even in our difficulties themselves, there are often strewn all sorts of little blessings from the hand of God. Yes, you're in the hospital. 
but there's actually a hospital to go to. And people who love you will come and visit, probably. And most of us have some sort of medical coverage so that the treatment won't bankrupt us. Those are blessings. Those are reasons to rejoice. Or, no, you didn't get the job you were hoping for, but maybe you learned some skills in the interview process. Or, no, God may not have answered your prayer for a spouse or for a child or some deliverance or other, but you are learning persistence in prayer and perhaps contentment along the way. So do you see what I'm saying? There's always blessing in the Christian life. There's always reason for rejoicing for the Christian. When we look at the macro levels of eternity and the gospel and the great promises of God, but those promises and God's common grace also give us many reasons to be glad in him, even on the micro level, right down at the same level and in the same circumstances where we encounter our troubles and our reasons for groaning. God is always doing us good, and therefore we always have reason to rejoice. And what we need to do, it seems to me, is to be in his word enough to really familiarize ourselves with those reasons for rejoicing, to have them close at hand in our memory banks, so that when trials come, or when we're just going through a mundane season that seems frankly boring, our reasons for rejoicing are not crammed into the back of our minds like the little box of baking soda in the back of the refrigerator, but that our reasons for rejoicing are right near the front, like the delicious steaks that you're going to take out and eat tomorrow night. And then we need to pray also for eyes to see all these little blessings that pop up like wildflowers on the floor even of some of the most tangled forests through which we may be sometimes forced to walk. The little blessings that are mingled in with our trials. It's work sometimes, this rejoicing always, but it's doable work. And it's necessary work. And it's glad work by its very nature. Rejoice always. And then in the second place, pray without ceasing. Rejoice always, that's a constant. Pray without ceasing, verse 17, another constant. Now, this is not a call to spend every moment of your life in your prayer closet having a quiet time. Of course, you should have a prayer closet, or if it's not a closet, literally, some quiet space and time to which you regularly repair to meet with the Lord for seasons of prayer and praise and scripture. Just like Jesus in Mark 1, in the early morning while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went away to a secluded place and was praying there. And you and I should have a time like that too, of course. But Jesus didn't stay in that secluded place all the time. He went there and he prayed and then he went about his day doing the other things that God had called him to do. And yet, that doesn't mean that he wasn't able to do what Paul commands here. It doesn't mean that his morning quiet time was the end of his praying and that he didn't pray without ceasing because I have no doubt that our Lord was praying here and there about this and that all throughout each day. And maybe that's what, or at least part of what Paul is commending here. Not that we be alone in our quiet time without ceasing, but that even during the rest of the day, while we're doing other things, we continue sending up brief prayers or maybe even pulling aside for a moment or two of prayer about all sorts of matters that arise during the day. 
And so I'm going through my day and I'm praying over my meal. I'm praying on the way into this meeting for God's help. I'm praying for a co-worker as her situation comes to mind. I'm praying for my drive home that I'll be safe. I'm praying about this project that I'm working on. I'm praying that God will help me find my lost keys. I'm praying for my unsaved neighbor, neighbor as I see him walk past with his dog. I'm praying for the computer to work this time. And so on. Just praying about all sorts of things all throughout the day and offering prayers of thanks too, as we'll come to in verse 18, all throughout the day. Martin Lloyd-Jones, the great preacher of the last century, said this in regard to preachers and their praying over their sermon preparation, but it's apropos in all of life. He said, always respond to every impulse to pray. Always respond to every impulse to pray. Because he says, it's the Holy Spirit who's giving you that impulse. So listen to that impulse and pray whenever you have the impulse to do so. Pray without ceasing all through the day. But then also, the great commentators Leon Morris and Adam Clark both point out from this verse that to pray without ceasing means that we live every moment in a spirit of prayer in a spirit of dependence upon God, in a continual consciousness of our need for his help, even when we're not pausing to voice the actual words of prayer. Those who feel this spirit, spirit of prayer, says Clark, those who feel this spirit will as frequently as possible be found in the exercise of prayer. Those who go through the day, in other words, with a spirit of prayer will find themselves often voicing the words of prayer. And then there's something else that may be in view here because John MacArthur points out that verse 17 here speaks of persistence in prayer. Namely, not only do we pray all through the day, but MacArthur's point about persistence is that we never give up praying. That we be like the persistent widow, he says. That we pray and not lose heart. That we don't decide to just quit praying or to largely quit praying perhaps sometime along the road of life because it just doesn't seem or feel like it's working. Just because prayer doesn't seem to be working, just because prayer doesn't feel like it's working doesn't mean it isn't working doesn't mean that God hasn't heard or that he will somehow fail in his time to give what is good to those who ask him. No. God hears and God gives what is good and therefore don't stop praying. Pray and do not lose heart. Don't give up. Tempted as you may be sometimes after many disappointments to do so. Now, God may sometimes make it plain as with Paul's thorn in the flesh that we no longer are to pray for this or that particular request. But that never means we should give up making requests, period. Nor does it mean that there shouldn't be some things, perhaps many things, that we are praying for now and that we were praying for some months or years ago and that we should still be praying for in our deathbeds. Pray without ceasing. Pray for various things throughout each day. Be in a spirit of prayer all the day and never give up on prayer even to your dying day. And then the third of these Christian constants, in everything, give thanks. 
verse 18, in everything give thanks. Now, much of what could be said here would be very similar to what I said regarding rejoicing always in verse 16. Just as we have reason to rejoice, no matter how difficult our trials, so we also have reason to give thanks. And the reasons we have for rejoicing are the same reasons we have for giving thanks. Because while they're not identical, rejoicing and thanksgiving are corollary, aren't they? Because it's to be hoped that when we are given something over which we rejoice, we will also be grateful to the one who gave it. And when we're grateful... It's to be hoped that we will say so, right? And that is what this verse enjoins, is it not? Not just being grateful, but saying so. Not just being thankful, but giving thanks. Give thanks. Telling God that we're thankful, which will give us another reason, as we said earlier, to be praying all throughout the day. Praying, among other things, prayers of thanks as God blesses you. Rejoicing, yes, Rejoicing specifically in God, the giver of the blessings, actually being grateful to God, but then also telling him that you're grateful, giving him thanks. And just as we must rejoice always, so we must also give thanks in everything. Just as we said about rejoicing, so it's true here, there's always something to be thankful to God for. In everything, there is a reason to be grateful, and therefore in everything, there is cause to voice your gratitude. Make sure you turn and thank God when things are going well, for instance. Don't just take them for granted. And then make sure you thank Him also in the tough times for the good that He is surely working, according to Romans 8.28, through your trials. Thank him for the blessings that he sends in the midst of your trials to ameliorate them just a little bit. Make sure, in other words, that you don't just groan because you're in the hospital, but you thank God that there is a hospital and that friends are visiting you and there are get well cards on the table and so on. And thank God in every season of life, too, for all the good that he has granted you aside from your trials. Your trials are only a part of your life. They're not the whole. And so even... If you can't see the reasons to thank God in your trials or for what he's doing through your trials, there are reasons, but even if you can't see them, there's all sorts of other things that he's blessed you in all sorts of other areas of your life. And again, think here on the macro and the micro level. On the micro level, everything may not be going grandly in your life, but you still have food, and God's still sending the sun and the rain, and on a on a great scale, if you're in Christ, no matter what else may be going on in your life, you're still forgiven. And your eternity is still secure. And the promises of God are still yours and they are still precious. And God is still at work to perfect what he began in you. And the cross and the empty tomb are still fact. And Jesus is still coming to make all things new. There's always reason to give thanks to God. And therefore, in everything, in the good things, in the bad things, in the fair to midland things, in all circumstances, as some versions put it, in all circumstances, we must give thanks. So there you have three Christian constants. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything, give thanks. And let me say that with all these other reasons that we've given 
for why these things must be so and why these things may be so, for why we may rejoice and pray and give thanks constantly. Beneath all of these reasons that I've given, the great reason why we may and why we must rejoice always and pray without ceasing and give thanks in everything, the great reason is because our God is always without ceasing and in everything faithful. Our rejoicing, our prayer, our thanksgiving may be constant because our God is constant. Always giving us reasons for rejoicing and thanks. Always hearing us when we pray. Always being God. As Paul says in verse 24 regarding God's calling and sanctifying of his people, so it's true in every other realm, faithful is he. Faithful is he. Or as it's put in Lamentations 3, the Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. We have something new to be thankful for every morning. We have reason always to rejoice. We have cause in everything to give thanks. We have unceasing opportunity to pray because God is always the same. Because God is always there for us. Because God is the constant one. Because he is, in a word, faithful. God is with us, blessing us, hearing prayer for us all the day long. And at night, Psalm 127 tells us, he gives to his beloved even in his sleep. Even in the beloved's sleep. And when the, the morning dawns again, we find that he is with us still with new compassions for a new day and also with the same compassions, the same precious promises and gospel certainties that have followed us all the days of our lives. God is there new, with new blessings every morning because God is always there. The blessings are new, but God's presence isn't new. These three disciplines, these three privileges, these three activities tonight may be ever-present in our lives because God is ever-present in our lives. These three constants are rooted in the constant. Faithful is He.